0: and welcome back to Gloucester Book Club's podcasts. I'm Christina Young, the founder of Gloucester Book Club. Tonight we'll be discussing The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne. Cyril Avery is not a real Avery, or at least that's what his adoptive parents tell him, and he never will be. But if he isn't a real Avery, then who is he? Born out of wedlock to a teenage girl cast out from her rural Irish community and adopted by a well-to-do if eccentric Dublin couple via the intervention of a hunchbacked redemptorist nun, Cyril is adrift in the world, anchored only tenuously by his heartfelt friendship with the infinitely more glamorous and dangerous Julian Woodbead. At the mercy of fortune and coincidence, he will spend a lifetime coming to know himself and where he came from, and over his three score years and ten will struggle to discover an identity, a home, a country, and much more. In this Boyne's most transcendent work to date, we're shown the story of Ireland from the 1940s to today through the eyes of one ordinary man, the Heart's Invisible Furies is a novel to make you laugh and cry while reminding us all of the redemptive power of the human spirit. Joining me tonight on the book group panel, we have Liz, Stella, and Joe. Long before we discovered that he had fathered two children by two different women, one in Drimmer League and one in Kilty. Father James Munro stood on the altar of the Church of Our Lady, Star of the Sea, in the parish of Goline, West Cork, and denounced my mother as a whore. That's pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? And that's the first opening paragraph of the book. And it's one of the ones that really grabbed me. Let's come to Liz to see what she thought about the book.
1: I felt ambivalent towards this book. I mean, it... The first half of it, which is predominantly set in Ireland, made me feel a little bit concerned about my Irish heritage, um, particularly about the two concepts I'm going to talk about. I can understand why it was written that um, the author himself had experienced a lot of the problems of being homosexual.
0: Mm.
1: I thought it was a tad on the long side. I think it could have done with a bit of pruning. It was quite a long book. And one thing that I didn't particularly like, and and then the nearest equation I can give is sort of Oscar Wilde flip of things. They took things, he mentioned things that were incredibly serious, but he made them funny. Yes. Um, in the same way that, say, Oscar Wilde did a lot of, uh, you know, he, you, you know, the price of everything, the value of nothing, that sort of thing. And at times I wanted to say to the author, don't make it a joke. You know, I know you can and it makes us laugh. I want to talk about two things, but the attitude to women in the book and the attitude to homosexuality. And I will be concentrating on the first half of the book, which is mainly set in Ireland. So as far as women are concerned, patriarchy and misogynism are the two words that I can think of to sum up the way that women were treated. A Couple of quotes. Reading gives women ideas. I don't let them loose on books, it makes them think. Women should never have been given the vote. Um, and when poor Cyril is sitting in front of that awful doctor and says he doesn't like his girlfriend, the doctor says, oh, well, none of us like women. You know, a number of times I, I I wish mine would never wake up again. This, this complete motif of misogyny that seems to run through the book. The thing that stuck most in my mind is the priests ran the country back then. And basically, as it says in one Priests don't like women very much, mainly because they can't have one or they have one on the quiet and then they feel guilty. And this nasty, evil temptress has made them sin. Um, So a lot of the misogyny, I think, is coming from the priests. They look on women as nasty forbidden fruit that, you know, it's pure St Paul's, you know, my body's a temple. If it wasn't for you, horrible whore, I wouldn't have any problems sort of thing. So women are uh, described with all sorts of pejorative terms throughout whore and prostitute being mm. made a couple. And the story starts with this awful, brutal expulsion of Catherine from her church, her family, and her village, where she is dragged up onto the pulpit by the priest, denounced in front of everybody, Um, and yet the one telling comment, all the women sat in their pews hoping against anything that the culprit, the father, wasn't one of their sons, or even worse, one of their husbands. Mm. It was Catherine that was getting thrown out, uh, but it takes two to make a baby. And the blame was entirely with her and the way she was treated sums up the way women are looked on. Um, I liked her first boss at the tea shop um, because she also was a woman who had done the worst thing you could possibly do. She got pregnant outside of wedlock and she'd born a child. Um, And as we found out, um, it was incest. It was her father. Her mother actually helped deliver the baby, cut the cord, but the father was the dad standing there. Um, So unmarried mothers have no support. They have no sympathy. They are entirely to blame for the situation that they find themselves in. Um, And I think at the time in Ireland, the power of the Catholic Church can't be underestimated. It was a very masculine, patriarchal place where... Women really, it's the classic Madonna and Hall. You're one or the other. You can't just be a normal mixture of both. And the sentence to finish up on this bit about women um, came near the end um, and it's Christianity was just a concept. It wasn't a way of life.
0: We'll hear some more from Liz later on. But now let's go to Stella.
2: I mean I really enjoyed the book it's I would say it's quite a long book it's 650 pages or thereabouts but I guess what I would say is that the I felt that it was dealt with in with almost with quite a light touch because the subject matter is so so difficult and so many things in the book are really really I think are really brutal I almost feel it maybe it would have been too much to deal with um, if it had been treated differently. There's just so much in this book. And I do think it's quite clever that um, the way that he's uh, treated and dealt with all of these uh, things, for me, it's a lightness of touch. So I was able to read through to the end. I really enjoyed the book. It didn't feel like a really, really big book. No. I agree about the, the... I kind of agree that priest. For me, I did find that quite humorous. I guess that's that's probably in very bad taste, but I found quite comical. And I maybe it's not always easy to be terribly sympathetic towards priests at the moment because we're finding out more and more about the, the widespread abuse that priests have have carried out. So yes. I'm not quite so sure about that. The book covers seventy years, doesn't it? So it's it it really does cover the history of um, Ireland and homosexuality and the the enormous, in some ways, the enormous change from then. From the opening scene, which I thought was really powerful, of this girl, she's sixteen. She's as Liz says, she's pulled up to the front of the church and she's um, banished. Her parents are quite okay with that. Everyone appears to be completely okay with that. I thought that was really, really powerful. And all the way through up to 2015, which is where Ireland legalises gay marriage. So in some ways, things have really moved a lot. And But then in other ways, maybe they haven't moved so much as well, because some of these things that you talked about, this misogyny, we know there's so much in the press at the moment about... Um, women the me too movement um and the 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 sort of the absence of men in these equations so you know Catherine was thrown out but there were two people that made that baby but only one person that was punished for it the other person seems to be entirely absent from any conversation around that and moving forward to today you know people are starting to say this is the same with violence against women. We hear about violence against women, but m- men are, are fairly absent in that yeah. whole conversation sometimes, the sort of discussion about, uh, you know, male violence or what, against women or whatever. So, And I think the same for um, homosexuality as well. Some things have moved forward and some things probably haven't. Um, But I have to say, I really,
0: really enjoyed the book. The other thing is hopefully someone else will pick up
2: the structure of the book in the seven year segment.
0: Good, isn't it? Um, You're right. The novel is set over 70 years. Um, I think I've I've listened to John Boyne talk about that. And he said that um, there is this kind of age old kind of uh, feeling, really, that life changes every seven years. So, you know, after, you know, when you're seven and when you're 14, when you're 21, 28, and it it goes through that. And he said that that was kind of one of the reasons why he wrote it in that way, because um, it was also nice to have this seven year break um, and then he could go into a different kind of part of Cyril Avery's life. Um, And, you know, just having that kind of gap meant that he didn't have to, He he had to fill in the bits so that you kind of knew what had happened in that seven years. But he didn't have to go into it in a massive amount of detail. So it was actually quite a good uh, way of writing this book, really, I think, for him. Um, Yeah. And you're right. The seven year stuff. I quite like that. I don't know what the rest of you thought. What did you think about that, Joe?
3: Yeah, I agree with you. It was effective. And it just just occurred to me that it's the same period as the BBC used. With their seven up and fourteen mm. their, their anthropological documentary about right. a group of children growing up. That's yeah, every yeah. seven years you visit them. That's That's a very right. effective way of doing it. Yeah. And as you said, you you find that in between each visit, your your things have happened and you spend half the time trying to work out yourself what's happened here, looking for clues.
0: Mm.
3: It keeps your interest up, very effective.
0: I mean the book itself is really talking about prejudice in Ireland isn't it that's that's basically what what it's all based around John Boyne tends to talk about prejudice in lots of his books you may know that he's he's also the author of the boy in the striped pajamas um, he you you if you have read more than one of his books you realize that prejudice is one of his sort of main themes that runs through lots of his writing it is following Irish history through the Cyril Avery, and his strange upbringing. Um, Joe, do you know where, the just talking about the title, do you remember where he gets the idea for the title from?
3: Yeah, it, it's taken from um, uh, philosopher Hannah Arendt's description of W.O.H. Uh, Auden, the poet.
0: That's right,
3: but yeah. He, he, he suffered from a, a medical condition which gave his facial skin an elephantine look, very, very creased and crumpled really quite remarkable and she she said he looked as if he had the the, the heart's invisible furies on his face <laughs> yes. that he yep. was carrying the, the weight of the world on his shoulders basically yeah,
0: yeah that's right, right. Um, as as you've mentioned lots of anger lots of comedy in this book i think very difficult to explore cyril's own sexuality in a country where homosexuality was illegal at the time when he was growing up. Joe, did you want to say something about what your thoughts are about the book?
3: Yeah, well, let me first of all say I really enjoyed it. It's one of the best books that we've read. if One of the best books that I've ever read. I really put it up there with the best few. Um, and my thought was, how on earth do you follow this? It's a fantastic book. It really would take some following. Um, nominally, of course, it's it's a picaresque story of one gay man's life over his Biblical 70 years, three, score years and ten, but in reality, it's more of a modern social history of Ireland over the same period from the war to the present day. Um, he deliberately set the story to end in 2015, which is the year that the um, referendum approved the allowance of same sex marriage in Ireland. So he went 70 years back from that, which would take him to 1945 at the end of the war, which was exactly when the story starts. It's a remarkable transformation of a country from what you can only really call a dark ages of a church-dominated theocracy, and and all the political instability that followed on the um, War of Independence and then the Irish Civil War, which people often forget about, um, a a really torn and riven society, still in that state by the time of the Second World War, and in the period from then to now, it's completely transformed itself to a modern, youthful democracy, outward-looking, warm, tolerant and liberal, very European in its mindset. And there's no better evidence of that than in the passing of the um, referendum to allow same-sex marriage towards the end of uh, Cyril's life. Um, It's very clever that um, John Boyne references a number of um, divisive characters um, and controversial characters in the story. Um, Eamon de Valera, Michael Collins, Anglos, as they call them, like Max Woodbead, who was from English stock, who had settled in Ireland probably in Tudor times, been there ruling Ireland since the beginning, um, and also people on the other side, Charlie Hockey, who was at one point um, the Taoiseach and involved with the IRA gun running allegedly, and even the encounter with Brendan Behan, so he's, he's flagging up all these controversial characters. Brendan Behan was an IRA bomber, not just yeah. a playwright. I mean, he's he's trying to demonstrate the world that they've come from and the world that they've arrived at over the course of one man's life. Mm. Which is a remarkable transformation for a country like Ireland that we tend to regard as backward, but there you are. And in
0: 1987, Joe, um, there's this chapter but set at that time, which is when, you know, AIDS was the big thing, wasn't it? You know, the the whole world was talking about AIDS. Um, And I think, you know, he he sets these chapters around specific times like that. And I'm sure everybody here on the panel tonight will remember 1987 and, you know, all the awful kind of fear there was around AIDS and, and how you might catch it And, you know, um, know, terrifying, wasn't it, for most people, I think. Mm. And how far we've come since 1987 in the treatment of AIDS as well. Because now it's actually very much a treatable condition. It's very difficult to pass it on to anyone else now um, if you're on treatment. So it, it just goes to show how much the world has come on from that. But I think his chapter about AIDS, well, that's that whole time that he was spending... Um, working in the, um, the hospital where all the AIDS patients were yeah. was a really heartbreaking It um, was heart.
3: and, and the fact that they basically had no treatment for at that point, had no treatment for them and yeah. his visit is at Mount Sinai Hospital wasn't it in America which is one of the leading hospitals in the world yeah. he's going in there um, purely as a, a visitor to try and provide some comfort for the patients yeah. that's yeah. all he can do
1: yeah, I think he does with the AIDS epidemic, one, one point he does skim over, he doesn't mention it specifically, is that for a long time it was referred to as the gay plague, mm. that it was something which was brought upon yourself by your own wicked actions. And that was a very, very strong belief in parts of America. That it was deserved sickness in a way, it was divine punishment. Um, and given how he's described being a young homosexual in Ireland, and this was a, a, a view in America, he didn't, the author didn't really bring that out, I don't think.
0: Mm, interesting. Um, I was going to mention side character really in the book, but one I quite liked Maud Avery. Um, mm hated the idea of popularity um, she was kind of included there I think for a bit of comic relief as well but there was also a serious side to her because she was an extremely good author but she hated the idea that anyone would buy her books which I found quite funny um, and then there was the tea towel incident if you remember that bit where women novelists writers in Ireland at that time didn't get themselves onto the tea towel when all the male writers did get themselves mm. onto the tea towel. Um, and you were left thinking, will Maud, actually, Maud Avery actually actually make her way onto the tea towel at some point? So it was a kind of, again, it was raising, a, raising the issue of this subtle diminishment of women writers, I think. Um, and I think John Boyne has said that he's thought about actually you know Maud was writing some book which we never really got to know what it was about but he thought he might write the book um, as Maud Avery yeah. and uh, I thought that was quite a funny thing for him to say because everybody wants to know what Maud Avery's book would be like. What did you think about her as a character Stella? Did you quite like Maud? Well I, I didn't
2: really understand her very much. I mean she wasn't very fleshed out and obviously I think she I felt like she was a little bit of a caricature. So that was quite, com- you know, lots of comical things around her. But I guess that the first part about Maud was I didn't actually really understand. and Maybe I just missed this point. I didn't understand why they adopted a child. Was it literally because they didn't have a child and that's what you do? That's what you did in those days if you didn't have a child. I never really understood why they adopted Cyril. So that's sort of the first point for me. But regarding the and the tea towel, I did love that, and I I did love the way he treated those things. I thought it was quite a light touch. Again, it was comical, but it really did make the point. It just didn't feel laboured. You know, it was just done in a very comical way. But it's a it's a very
0: clear point there. Yeah, I think so. I think there's a really clear point coming through there about women writers in general. Yeah.
1: Um, I think another point about women, another motif running through is the complete dysfunctionality of family life, even those women who are married and have acceptable status. Mm. Most of their husbands are unfaithful to them. Um, The relationships between parents and children are inadequate in a lot of the cameos. So I think apart from homosexual and women being discriminated against, it, it paints a fairly light-hearted but bleak picture of family life.
0: Mm, Definitely and I seem to have a memory and I may have got this wrong, didn't Maud and Charles lose a baby of their own? Was that, am I mixing that up with another book or is that right?
3: No I think you might be right, I think they did lose a baby Mm. whether whether it was a miscarriage or
0: Mm. an infant
3: that died in infancy I don't know. I think there was uh, some sort of lingering regret that might have been the motivation for them to adopt uh, Cyril. I I was going to say that they obviously were looking for to adopt because the um, nun, hunchback, redemptionist nun brought Cyril as a baby to them. So she must have known they're the people who get the next baby that's available or whatever the deal was.
0: Mm, exactly there are some funny bits in the book um and i there's a particular one that i really liked and it's a conversation if you remember between julian and cyril when julian arrives at cyril's house they're seven-year-olds in this conversation bear in mind and uh cyril takes him up to his bedroom to show him his bedroom and they get into chats about sex um and um cyril says what's a pervert i asked and it's someone who's a sex maniac julian explained oh i'm going to be a pervert when i grow up he continued (laughs) so am i i said eager to please perhaps we could be perverts together (laughs) (laughs) that was so funny because actually i could imagine these two seven-year-old little lads talking yeah. like that, you know, and I'll show you mine if you show me yours, which in yeah. fact is what they were doing in that country. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and it just spoke. It was so funny, and I could see it happening, and I thought that was really well observed by John Boy. Um, he's probably been in the similar situation himself <laughs> at some point in his life, but I just thought that was really really funny, and um, he he is very good at writing funny scenes really really good at writing them his dialogue I think is very good in funny scenes as well um I think he's trying to write scripts as be a script writer before and he says he really can't write do script writing but he can do funny dialogue in books so I thought oh, that's interesting um I,
1: I think that's where the sort of the light touch comes in and on that point about Julian and Cyril I think the ambivalence about Julian's sexuality is quite key to the book, because when Cyril tells him just before he marries Alice that he's gay, Julian doesn't care that he's gay; just he hasn't told him that he's gay, and of course <laughs> he ends up dying of AIDS in the end. Yeah. But this sort of that I found a little bit hard at time. This humour at, at some pretty bleak things. All mm. I can do is compare it. We've read there have been several books published recently about slavery in America. Yes. Seven Years a Slave, the 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 the, the railroad, mm. which were very bleak and very graphic and very brutal. You could have written a book about this in the same sort of style, but he's the author's chosen to make
0: it light hearted. Yeah. Mm. I mean, could it be that's because he finds it really difficult, you know, in lots of ways to talk about these these things without, you know, making it too bleak, if you like? Here's Liz to share some more thoughts. I was absolutely astonished
1: when I found that it wasn't until 1992 that the World Health Organization stopped listing homosexuality as a mental disorder. Really? You know, my children were all born and at school by yeah. then. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't decriminalised in Ireland until 1993, a long time after, well, England and Wales were the first, then Scotland, Northern Ireland, dragged its feet for quite a long time. Um, And it wasn't until 2000, 2001, that the four countries of the United Kingdom decided to bring the consenting age limit down to that of heterosexual partners. Um, It was 21 for a long, long time. And of course, If you like, there is some validation because 25 years after that, 1993, um, Ireland has an openly gay prime minister. Um, Mm -hmm. So it comes full circle. The way that homosexuality has to be undertaken, it is heartbreaking. Um, It's described as something that had to be furtive, hurried, and it had to be purely physical, often done in the dark, in the park, in the toilets. It was sordid. It was purely physical. There could be no relationship. It was just a sexual release. It was normally with complete strangers, so you didn't build up any kind of relationship. You didn't go to bed together. You didn't fall asleep. You didn't wake up. It was purely a quick physical act.
0: True as it is that the history of gay men, well, not through, just in Ireland but everywhere really, it, and um, and the relationship with women is is that they were had to get married, or they, you know, society kind of made them get married, and they married a person of the opposite sex, and they condemned them really to a loveless relationship because of that. Would you agree?
1: Yes. It a, a couple of to finish a couple of um, cameos from the book so shocking at the beginning of the book Sean's father turns up and murders his son and we're told the jury acquits him of murder since his crime had been committed under extreme provocation <laughs> i.e the homosexuality of his son was incitement to murder
0: yeah
1: um the scene again this was when i said i wish you hadn't turned it into a joke where the priest dies in the confessional, oh, yes, the confessional. um It's funny, but it shouldn't be. And that didn't really ring true because I very much doubt whether that was the first time that a parish priest in Ireland had heard sins like that or had not partaken in them himself. Um, The most horrific thing was the doctor who was doing the conversion cure um, with with Cyril. Um, And that, unfortunately, is still going on all over the world it may not be quite as brutally physical but it's psychologically just as damaging and then another shocking thing when that minister who's married um but has is caught with a a boy in his car in a um, homosexual act and people are discussing it and one um, of the uh, people in the office said Well, in fact, Hitler had some good ideas, you know, i.e. he got rid of nasty perverts like that. Um, And because it's done in a slightly humorous sense, you forget just how shocking these comments are. It didn't look at any homosexual women, this story. only looked at homosexual men, whether they would have been given the same sort of treatment. We don't know in this story, Um, but they were regarded as abnormal diseased, dirty, um, and when later in the story, Alice says to Cyril, why did you lie? Why were you so dishonest? Well, what choice did he have? It was criminal activity. Mm-hmm. It was one that he would be, if not sent to prison, so certainly socially castigated. Do you remember um, his first girlfriend, that awful Margaret, Maud Margaret? It's yes. quite proud of the fact that she won't serve a customer that she thinks is homosexual, and you know, don't don't spoil my bank. I can get money somewhere else. Um, it's almost as if contamination by association.
0: Yeah,
1: and it brought out a lot of time that many married men were secretly gay. They they kept their wives, they kept their families, but they indulged in these clandestine, dark, furtive sexual release, which was the only way that they could fulfil their nature.
0: And finally, to sum it up. I became really immersed in the story when I read it. I I really fell in love with a lot of these characters. And then I had my heart fully ripped out as well when I was reading it. I think it's a masterpiece of writing. I don't know, what did you think, Jo? You've already said you really, really loved it.
3: Like I said, really up there with the best books that I've ever read in my whole life. So really clever writing, um, very very emotive writing. I know that there are autobiographical elements in the book. He, he said that where well, we know he is gay and that he has said even if you look at the don't necessarily have to look at interviews with him in his own author's note which is in the back of the book and in my opinion is one of the best bits of the whole book. He makes it clear that there are big sections in the book that reflect his own life experiences and in particular the um, rushed and horrible, nasty outdoor sex that yeah. gay men have to have. So many encounters are, are, are in public parks and public toilets and places like that. It leads him to describe the difference between love and sex. It's so stark to him that this is Cyril. I loved Julian. I had sex with strangers. Yes. Eight words. And he's describing the difference between love and sex.
0: Yeah, that was that's a really powerful quote, that one, actually. Yeah. Stella, would you recommend this for a book club to read? Yes, I would. Yeah, yeah. I my only
2: reservation would potentially be the length of it. I really agree with you. And I certainly found that as I read it, it flowed. It, it didn't feel like it was too long. Um, I really enjoyed it and I would definitely recommend it. Yes.
0: What about you,
1: Liz? Do you- yes, I mean, I would recommend it. I mean, it. I thought it was beautifully written. S- certain little cameos will stay forever you know Moore doesn't actually know the bedroom Cyril sleeps in she doesn't mm-hmm. know where his bed is you know that type of thing which is almost written in a throwaway style she just says oh is this your bedroom yeah. but there's this is huge meaning behind that one little sentence so I think he's very very good at expressing a lot in quite short sentences
0: We'll be back soon and I hope you'll join us again to listen to Gloucester Book Club. Bye for now. John Boyne is the author of 11 novels for adults and six novels for younger readers. His novels are published in over 50 languages. If you look carefully in most of his books, you will almost always find a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel.